Are you ready to scale? Why not invest three minutes in our scalability index? It's quick, it's easy, and it's got specific guidance. Find it at evokinggenius.com slash scale. Hello, and welcome to Genius at Scale. Today's guest is Ben Levenbaum from Acceleration. Ben, tell us a little about yourself. Yes. Hi. First of all, thank you for having me. Um, my name is Ben Levenbaum. I'm the CEO of Acceleration, and we are a global provider of reward and recognition programs for companies looking to engage and retain their top performers. And we also manage uh, channel reward programs for sales incentives and top performer awards. I'm, I'm fascinated with that business. Are these trophies or plaques or acknowledgements or are they physical things like uh, gift baskets or an Amazon card? How does, how does that work? Tell us how that works. Yeah, sure. So um, of course we do have clients that like to give out trophies for, for certain aspects of their business, but the focus of our programs are on what we call trophy value rewards. So they're not actual trophies, but they're actually merchandise or gift cards or trips uh, something that you can reward to your top performers or they can choose for themselves that provides them that sense of um, value in their achievement, uh, something that they'll keep for a long time, something that they can you know, have as a, a reminder of what they did to, to win that award. So you think of the, you know, you get a, an award from your company and it's a new golf club or it's a new TV. And every time you sit down to watch, you look at it and say, wow, I got that from my company for this sales contest or for being employee of the year. And you get to share it with your friends and your family. Um, and so it's a, it, it, that's the concept of trophy value. And that's what we do. It, it's, it's spectacular. What happens if I have uh, sun sensitive skin and the prize is a trip to Hawaii and you go, <laughs> I, Hawaii is a terrible place for me to go. I don't want to go there. What, what happens well, then? You know, certainly the, the concept of choice and personalization in rewards um, is the, at the core of everything we do. I mean, every company has different um, demographics of their top performers. They have different generations of employees that all want to be rewarded in different ways. Um, they have different, you know, wants and needs and and things that motivate them, right? That's the best type of program will have a diverse set of rewards and you can motivate every aspect of your, of your employee base. Um, so you can go yeah. Ah, that's, that's you great. You can go skiing. You can go skiing. Okay. Kind of I, go, I go skiing instead of going to Hawaii, right? Exactly. Yeah. Because my thong is permanently lost to the cleaners, and so it's it's Hawaii is yeah. not a great. Mine, mine too. Mine too. Yeah, you're too. Yeah, you you use the same cleaners that I do. Yeah. <laughs> so then I'm curious because um, scale can be measured. You know, most people measure it in revenue, but how do you measure um, growth or scale or what? What's the metric you use your, with your organization to keep them engaged and optimize growth? Yeah, I think, I think it's a great question. You know, as a leader, I am hyper aware when our team and our operations are ready to scale. Uh, or conversely, when I'm afraid, you know, that the next big client or project is going to put them over the edge. And, you know, to me, to me and to us, to acceleration, you know, scale is when we can grow multiple product lines or onboard multiple clients 
simultaneously and effectively because it means I have processes and I have people um, that are engaged and that can handle that growth. And, you know, when you're not ready, um, it could be for a lot of reasons, right? You, you, you don't have the right people. Um, you have leaders that aren't ready for that next phase. You don't have the right partners. Uh, you don't have the right technology. And, and really for us, it takes all of those things to be aligned for us to kind of handle that next bump in revenue or client activity without, and I think this is the most important thing, right? Everybody can, anybody can add on revenue, but if you're adding on revenue and at the same time, you're leaking out the other side because you're not supporting your customers or you're losing your employees and you're delivering bad service, um, it's, 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 it's not good, right? So we measure scale in, in terms of being able to grow, but at the same time, not impacting employee engagement, not impacting um, new clients getting onboarded and definitely not negatively impacting, you know, our existing customer service and loyalty. No, it's, it's great. I, I, I love that because people say, they ask me all the time, uh, you've interviewed a ton of CEOs of an unscaling. What's the kind of, what's the recipe? What's the secret formula? I'm more interested. You, you had mentioned, you know, your spidey senses, my language go up when you're nervous about, uh Oh, we're, we're growing too fast or we're not ready for this. Can you offer some warning signs? Is this a feeling? Is this like a trick knee and it's going to rain and you're not, and you're going to fall off a cliff or is there a sense or are there metrics that you say, you know what, we should, we should slow it down here. You know, I'd like to say that it was really metrics based, but to be honest, you know, I, I, we've had this business, I've had this business for more than 20 years. It, it very much is a feeling, you know, I feel like our company has like a heartbeat and I can tell when a certain group is um, struggling and, and, and maybe the one metric, you know, I can add to that is we have a lot and certainly over the pandemic, this has been one of the great things about the pandemic is um, there's not a lot of great things about the pandemic, but from a base, from a business standpoint, one of the things that we've benefited from is, you know, we have these every other week company Zoom meetings and every department, um, you know, kind of gives an update on where they are, where they're working, what their challenges are. And that kind of view into the company and additional communications internally, we do pick up things. You can tell, you can tell when, when departments are struggling or they're behind and the finance team is a week behind in closing the books or the reward operations team that we have is, has got more, you know, delayed orders. Um, we, we, we had a big problem the last couple of years, just the supply, you know, chain issues around the world. People would redeem their, their, um, you know, TV or golf club and it wouldn't get there. Right. Wouldn't get there. Yeah. Service inquiries are up and we see that data and, you know, we have to do something about it. We can't just go to somebody who won an award and be like, yeah, it'll be there eventually. Just wait for it. Nothing like a Christmas present that shows up in March. Yeah. It doesn't quite cut it. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you have to pay attention. Right. And you have to have leaders, I think that are, that are open and willing to share and, you know, have a way, uh, have a method to share, you know, updates and, and, you know, that communication aspect that I think is super important because you can't yeah. be in every meeting. I can't be in every meeting, you know, it's, um, it's one of the skills that most companies, I think either don't acknowledge or undervalue is this idea of what I call institutional wisdom. Is that intuition in, and your sense of knowing, 
I could come and, and take over as CEO and I'd have no clue for at least a year because you've got 20 years of saying, you know what, those guys are in trouble and we need to either send them help, we need to send in the cavalry or we need to slow it down or they're going to get crushed. That's an incredibly valuable skill. How often do, 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 you, do you lean on that skill? Because most companies don't even talk about it. I'd say every week. Oh, that often. Yeah. I, I mean, in the good side and the bad side, right? You no, can, I get it. Yeah. You, you can see both um, aspects of what's going on. You know, I, I get emails every month from some organization that says, we're looking for one business to buy, right? And we're going to take it to the next level. And I, I always think to myself, I'm like, what, how could you possibly do that? You know, like, how could you possibly, it would take you so long, right. you know, to come in. And, and this is one of the challenges with, I feel, you know, forget about a business scaling, just talk about, you know, adding new employees during the, during the pandemic, during this remote or, or even hybrid workforce, employees are getting hired and they're not getting that face-to-face -face interaction, or if they are coming to the office, they're having a really hard time kind of building networks internally and having a really hard time getting that institutional knowledge. I think that is one of the greatest challenges to scale over the last two to three years is especially since we've all had so much turnover, right? So this is kind of all compounded by the great resignation and a lot of you know companies are having new employees and it's really hard to get employees, I think, up to speed and to share that institutional knowledge. Uh, I think that's been one of the great detractions of the last couple of years on the work from home. It's, you know. I've had a theory about it for years that it's the only way to get it is acquire it. You can't learn it. You can't teach it and say, look for that. Cause now it's a system and you right. turn off senses and you have to acquire, you have to, after the fact, you have to say, what did we miss there? And they go, you know what? It was there the whole time. And I missed it. And you go, right. And you can acquire it. And then next time you'll be better at it. But uh, yeah, that's a tough thing. Work from home, really yeah. hard to acquire it that way. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you've done this for 20 years. I'm curious, was there a specific episode or was that, and it might've been an episode that took six months, like a, um, I don't know what that might be, but was there an episode or inflection point where you said, you know what, we can now, we can now change lanes or we can go significantly higher or faster or bigger because of the inflection point or the or the or the episode was there something like that in your in your journey on you know fast growth and and growing your business so you know i think we've had a few of them over 20 years that's a long time right i think yeah. they, you know you end up um one of them maybe eight or nine years ago was just based on technology you know we had a we had a great platform but we were really setting up each one of our reward programs individually. We didn't really have multi-tenant technology and we really had to make a significant investment to have more of a SaaS-based uh, multi-tenant platform. And so, you know, in that sense, it was, hey, we've got enough knowledge now. We know what people want. Let's invest in technology so we can scale, right? And so that gave us the ability to onboard multiple customers at the same time and see some efficiencies in terms of how we were, you know, um, running the programs and, and, and sharing results um, and helping our customers. Um, you know, most recently, 
from the from the pandemic, we had another huge shift where the needs of the market had changed. You know, travel incentives, obviously, one, one of the large corporate incentives and recognition is a hundred and seventy-six billion dollar industry. It is a massive industry. Yep. And it's got all these different components, right? And so one of the big components is travel incentives. So traditionally, many sales, you've been in a big company or you have, you've been in the sales organization, the top 50 employees or 100 salespeople, they go to Hawaii, just like you were talking about, or they go to Paris, right? And so they get these group travel events. Well, obviously that couldn't happen for a, a large period of 2019 and, and 2020. And even last year, you know, there was a lot of executives that didn't want to sign, you know, the contract for the hotel that was going to guarantee 200 rooms six months later. Um, and so, but companies still had these top performers. They were still selling. The people were still achieving. They still needed a reward. Um, and so we came up with a new product line and it was a concierge reward uh, for individuals. So instead of 100 people going to the same destination, we could take those same 100 winners. And if you weren't ready to travel yet, fine, you could get a shopping experience at Restoration Hardware if you or Nordstrom's. If you wanted a new, you know, um, home gym, we could get you a Peloton and a mirror, right, for your reward. And if you didn't want to travel, you could still go on a trip, but now you could take your husband or wife or brother or child. And it was more of an individual experience. And so we built this entire new product line that came out of this opportunity. And it is wholly responsible for our, our latest large growth um, over the last you know 36 months is having a new product that we, able, we were able to figure out and replicate. It, it filled a need. Um, and it wasn't easy, um, but we figured it out, you know, and we, we had an engaged team that was excited about it. And, and, um, you know, so that was the most recent one, but I think, you know, over time, you know, companies need to take advantage of opportunities, um, whether it's new technology that can help them run their business differently or, a you know, a new segment that they can get into. It's funny that I've, I've, I've heard story after story after story about the unintended gift of a dirt sandwich, which was the pandemic, because it yeah. forced you to say, okay, how do we do this now? Um, I'm curious if, if I were an award winner, so I win the president's club and I'm top sales guy, could I customize or suggest my reward? Could I say, you know what, I'm a craftsman and I like to build things. Could you, could you uh, trick out my workshop or, or is it not, it doesn't work that way. Like, could yes. you take a budget and, and design it like from scratch? We have, we have, we've redone kitchens. We've, you kitchens, know, yep. jet skis. We've, um, you know, handled family reunions. I mean, we've done a little bit of everything. I mean, companies are, are willing, I think, in, and, and the, as long as you have the ability to manage it, um, companies want to give that personalization. Again, it's different. Every, everyone wants to be rewarded in a different way. And you get your kitchen redone or your bathroom redone. I mean, what a great sense of trophy value. Every time you, you know, go to eat, you look around and be like, wow, I got this from my company, you know? And so, um, yeah, so we have done complete customization. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So every, um, most podcasts I listen to tell about the success story, like the formula. 
it's it's a good story and it but it leaves me always as the listener with the idea that uh everybody can do this and i'm curious i'm more interested in because you have grown like crazy over 20 years but there had to be some potholes or mistakes or thunk, uh, two by fours between the eyes where you say oh my gosh that was a setback or that almost ruined us what was the biggest lesson you learned and i'm curious the tuition you had to pay to learn it on your on your scaling journey yeah, I, I think the biggest thing I had to learn was that you can never get too high or too low. You just have to, you know, I tell the story all the time internally. It's just like you're walking down the hallway and you go to the first office and someone says, oh, we just lost a customer. And you have to say, OK, you just got to keep walking. Right. Because the next door, somebody says, oh, we just got a customer. Right. And you can't you can't really stop too long there either. You just got to you just got to keep walking you know and so it's at times it you know you're almost unemotional to success but i feel like it helps you be not so emotional to failure as well because we all make mistakes you know i've made some doozies right and there's some that you just have to sit back and and reflect and say all right we can't ever let that happen again you know um but the resilient companies figure out a way, you know, to just keep going and, and, you know, scale and success and grow. It's, it's just not linear, right? You hit speed bumps, you have to sit in traffic for a while and go nowhere, you know, until you can figure out how to get there a different way. And, you know, and sometimes what we've learned the last couple of years, you know, you're, sometimes your business is impacted by external factors that have nothing to do with you. Right. Like I always think about, the, you know, the restaurant owners that, that work their whole lives to build their restaurant. And then the pandemic comes and they've got no business. Like they did nothing wrong. Right. So sometimes, they're, not allowed to, they're not allowed to bring customers in. They're, they're forbidden from doing business. And you go. Absolutely. Right. And so that, that man or woman did nothing wrong in terms of how they built their business. And just the opposite. Them. They did everything right. <laughs> they did yeah. it better. They did it better than anyone. Absolutely. And so like, that's a tough lesson and it's tough to get by, you know, and there's, yeah. it's, I have a lot of friends that are, that are entrepreneurs and, you know, that's the best, that's another, that's one piece of advice that I'd give to anybody is find some other people that are in the same boat as you, doesn't have to be the same industry, but that are just entrepreneurs to talk to because my friends who I value that are not entrepreneurs and just they don't go through the same stuff that I go through yeah. and, and the ups and the downs and the fear and the, you know, and then as your life changes, right. You get fear about different things. Right. And I've got kids. Right. So now if the business fails, it's a totally different situation than when I was 27 and started. Right. It wasn't really a big deal. If it failed, I'd go get a job. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I would definitely find people to talk to. And I have a few and we get together and just tell war stories and it makes you feel better, right? That you're not alone. Um, do, you, do, you, do you laugh with them or do you cry with them? I do both. Yeah. I really, I've done both. You know, I, I've, I, you know, I'm not ashamed to say I've laughed and, and cried running, it's, running it's, my business. It's funny because uh, how many people say, oh, I, I only don't take myself too seriously because I only laugh at myself. But I wonder... 
is that just a form of not crying? <laughs> I mean, when you're when you're so passionate about something and something goes wrong for whatever reason. Well, especially if it's your if you have if you say, oh, that was my responsibility. That was my judgment call or my mistake. <sighs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 hard to take, you know. Um but the successes are great, right? This shouldn't be a negative thing, right? If you if you're successful and you're giving people jobs and you know you've you've got a tight team and and you know they're living their life and and feeling good about it, working at your company, I, you know, and you're delivering a service that makes a difference, which is, you know, I think the sense of of purpose is a big thing with generations today in the workforce that you, they want to work for a company that's that's helping people and. I feel good about that for us, right? We're we're helping, you know, companies recognize their employees when they're when they're doing good work, when they're exhibiting the company values, and and um, you know, kind of sharing in that, you know, in the positive actions that are occurring. So um, th- there's a lot of benefits to it as well, not just financial, right? I I also don't think you can just be focused on the dollar, right? You just you have to be getting something else out of this than just money. Yeah especially because it never turns off. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, it's a fun question. We ask everybody. My theory is, is that in seventh or eighth grade junior high, there was a version of Ben that we would have been able to go to Vegas and bet. Oh yeah. Not yeah, Absolutely. This guy would have been where he is today. Tell us about that junior high version. Like who are you in junior high that we could have maybe predicted or maybe guessed uh, not like most likely to succeed, but uh, here's who I was and here's who I got here. So I, I just remember being super busy, you know, like in junior high. High. yeah, I had schoolwork at sports. I had a paper route. I was mowing lawns. I, you know, went to religious school. And so, you know, I think when you're young like that, like my kids are young and they're almost getting to the point where I'm saying like, okay, you got to like start to pick what you want to do. Right. And you start to having to learn how to balance, right? Like, all right, I can't, I I can't play on four sports teams at the same time. Right. And so you end up prioritizing and, you know, I, 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 that's the one thing I remember. I was just, I just remember being super busy. Um, I spent a lot of time working with my dad who is, who owns a construction company. And um, that was a great kind of entree into really hard work and, and understanding, you know, um, whether it was picking, I didn't do very much at 13 and 14 on a construction job, but it was still hard work. Right. Yeah. You'd have to move the pile of lumber from the front to the back. (laughs) Right. You were that guy and you go, dad, why didn't they just dump it in the back? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I remember one day at lunch, we were, um, they were, I was on a job and they were building like a gazebo in the backyard and the, 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 um, carpenter went to lunch and there was all these like little angles of pieces that were going around the top roof of the gazebo. But to me, they all just looked like scrap wood. Scrap lumber. Yeah. I thought I was doing a good job. So I cleaned it all up and I put it in the dumpster and the guy came back from lunch and he's like, where, where are all the pieces? And so I spent the afternoon, like in the dumpster, like holding each one up. Like, is this one? Is this one? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> pulling puzzle pieces out of, out of a bucket saying, could this be one? Yeah. It might be, but yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, you know, I think, 
in high school, I, I got to try a lot of different things and, um, but I definitely got that aspect of work, work ethic from my dad. And, you know, I think that, uh, just that, you know, balancing lots of things and that's what being an entrepreneur is, right. You got to balance, you know, different aspects of your life and then you have a family and, you know, you just can't work 24 hours a day. You've got other responsibilities and you're always making decisions, you know? And so how much, how much of, um, how much of who you are today is dependent upon or built on that work ethic or that entrepreneurial spirit or the fact that if you needed 10 bucks to go to the movies, you were going to have to earn it. Your parents weren't just going to reach into their pocket and say, here's 10 plus five for a soda and popcorn. I mean, how much, how much of that uh, is built into your work ethic today? Oh, I think it's a huge aspect. It's, it, it's, I think it's everything that's the foundation, right? And that's something that I'm trying to instill in my kids, right? You know, that uh, my son went and, and worked at my dad's house, you know, a couple months ago, he's had to move some dirt around and he got paid by my, by my father. And I came back and I said, well, I drove you, you know, I want $2 for gas. And the look he gave me like, what? And I'm like, Hey, this is all connected, right? Like, <laughs> my part wasn't free, you know? And right. so- I was your Uber. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and so those are hard lessons to try and, you know, figure out and instill in, in kids. And, you know, you're, you're all, I think it is harder know. these days too. There's not as many opportunities to just, yeah, just go exactly. knock on doors and say, would you, can I clean out your gutters? Yeah, it's, it's I, harder. And there's no paper routes. There's, there's people, no paper routes. Kids yeah. don't mow the lawns. Like, but even uh, baby, we babysat as kids all my siblings and I did because we couldn't go out both nights of the weekend anywhere, anyhow. So one night a week, we all babysat. I remember it was a dollar an hour. It was the worst job, but we would have been sitting at our own house. You say, you know, if they want to go out for dinner and they go out, if they leave at six and come back at 11 and I make five bucks, it's five bucks watching their TV instead of being at my own house, watching my own. We all did it. And it was the world's worst per hour thing because that was the going rate was a buck an hour and it was a terror it was like indentured servant but it was time i could couldn't use and he said yeah i'll take the five bucks because uh, nobody else was going to give me those that five bucks and i wasn't going to sit at home and do homework or something so uh, it was just wasted time it's hard because nobody will hire a babysitter that's 13 years old anymore they just won't do it they'll say well are you red cost certified do you have it's like yeah. And you pay 25 bucks an hour for a babysitter now and you go, excuse me, 25 bucks. Well, well, yeah, but I can do CPR and I'm, I've got a degree in child development. You go, I don't need that. I need a 13 year old kid to, to call 911 if the house burns down. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Cause I just don't see those opportunities for kids. Uh, do you have to invent them with your kids? Sometimes. Yeah. I think yeah. you do. Yeah. You do. And, and, you know, with, with devices these days, you know, with their phones and their iPads, it's, it's so easy for them just to sit on the couch and not do anything, right. just get yeah. in trances. And, and, you know, the last couple of years only exacerbated that yeah. whole kind of, you know, scenario where they couldn't go out, right. Just like the restaurant couldn't even cook, you know, they, the, the kids had nowhere to go, like sporting yeah. activities weren't being held. And, um, yeah, we're constantly, you know, kicking the kids outside and say, go do something, right? We had two of you for a reason. Go play with each other. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. It's a nice day. Yeah. Get on your bikes and go somewhere. Or, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you do. You do. I'm, I'm constantly trying to create, you know, opportunities for the kids to, you know, work and make money and, and, you know, find value in that. Um, sure. and understanding that not everything's going to be handed to you, you right. know? Right. Well, and so I, I, I know for me, one of the biggest lessons I learned was when I felt like I got ripped off, like I moved a gigantic pile of dirt from the front to the back because they said, I'll give you five bucks if you do it. And I underestimated that that would take me eight hours. And when I thought it would take me one, I'm going, I could have, that's four wheel, wheelbarrows full. And you go, no, it's 40. And it's going to take you forever. And it's 90 degrees outside. I'd kick myself, but you learned what I will do for $5, what I'll do. Now that $5, I, I held on to it like, like it was the last money I had. Cause I said, that was a tough $5 to, to make. And rarely was I, was I crushing it and going, I just made four times what I could have. I worked at McDonald's because I did that because I optimized. You have to learn that by trial and error. And that was a good place to learn it because three hots and, and a cot were already provided. It was a good, it was a good proving ground to have to do all that stuff. Well, and just like you said before, we started talking, like there are certain things in business that you, you have to learn. You have to learn. Nobody can just tell you, right. you know, what it's going to be or, or what to do. And you have to make mistakes probably when you're learning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You do. You, yeah. you have, everyone has to, everyone has to work eight hours for $5 and realize that that was a bad job. That was a bad out. deal. And it was hot and sweaty and you missed, you missed out on other opportunities. You could have been playing, playing basketball with your buddies or whatever you go. That was a bad deal. Yeah. I totally <laughs> agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ben, a delight to have you on the show. Thank you for your wisdom and your insights. This only comes from people who have done it. And that's the, that's the fun part about it. We don't, uh, there's no theory. There's no, there's no uh, textbooks or whatnot. This is, uh, I don't call it school of hard knocks, but it's, it's school of, school of acquired wisdom. That's for sure. So I really appreciate you spending time with us today. Yeah, John, thank you so much for having me. I, I enjoyed it as well. And um, looking forward to the next book that's coming out and uh you know, call me anytime. I'm happy to, to join one of your podcasts. Thanks for joining us today. Are you ready to scale? If so, invest three minutes in our scalability index. It's simple, easy, and gives specific guidance. Find it at evokinggenius.com slash scale. All the best.